0: Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com.
1: The White House has put its shoulder behind accessibility requirements for federal technology. The Office of Management and Budget issued a brand new Section 508 memo that orders a bevy of agency-specific and government-wide actions. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday has the latest. And what can people expect now, Justin?
0: Yeah, this new memo was signed out December 21st. It's all about strengthening digital accessibility and the management of Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act. And it's notable because it really represents the first White House action on Section 508 since 2013. So it's been a decade. And it's come as more and more IT and technology is provisioning government services, of course, and federal employees also increasingly rely on technology to do their jobs. The memo says accessible federal technology should therefore be an operational imperative. And that's considering about 25% of U.S. adults live with a disability and about 17% of the federal workforce reported having a disability in 2022. So this memo uh, really makes accessibility in federal technology, sure. both
1: inside government and the public-facing stuff, a big priority. And what specifically do agencies have to do? Because 508 has been a requirement for, as you say, not just 10 years, but about 30 years.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, it directs agencies to provide OMB with the name and contact information for an agency-wide Section 508 program manager within the next 30 days. So there's that accountability ...line right there for meeting the Section 508 requirements. And then it also tells agencies to establish a feedback mechanism to remediate any Section 508 issues. This is particularly important for federal websites. The federal government's own data shows that about 60% of federal websites have at least one accessibility issue. So within 90 days, OMB is directing agencies to establish a public feedback mechanism for receiving any complaints or reports about accessibility issues with websites and other digital services.
1: They just have to make sure that the feedback mechanism is accessible.
0: That's right. I I think that's step one in this whole process. Well, (laughs) I mean, I spoke with Mike Giffords. He's a senior strategist at the digital services firm Civic Actions. He says the feedback mechanism should help agencies more quickly uncover and fix issues.
2: Having that feedback loop so that it's not getting routed through the Section 508 office of the agency, but it's really geared to the website and making sure that that feedback can get back to the people who are building the website. Not in order to, to launch a grievance, but in order to fix the problem. The shoulder that feedback loop is, the, the more effective it, it will be to address accessibility issues that come up.
1: And of course, OMB and the General Services Administration, where I think a lot of the technical information and support for 508 actually lives, at least it has for a couple of generations. What are they going to do to help agencies out here?
0: OMB is going to work with GSA and the government-wide access board that sets these standards to update government-wide Section 508 resources, things like best practices, playbooks. They're going to put out some sample accessibility statements that agencies can use on their websites and also help them with this new feedback mechanism we just spoke about. And then GSA specifically is going to help with some new quote-unquote buy accessible initiatives under this memo. They will explore options for establishing a central repository of vendor accessibility conformance reports, so how companies are doing. And then they'll also establish a government-wide service within the next year to help agencies acquire different things that could help with accessibility standards, like testing services and things like that. Mike Giffords talked about how it's important to kind of put this in the procurement that put this issue front and center in the procurement process.
2: If you can get it fixed upstream in the products that are being sold to government agencies and make sure that they're able to improve their products and, and shape the incentives of the, of the process so that more accessible products are being favored in the procurement process. That's so important. But even more so is, is reaching to the procurement officers, the people who are actually making these decisions. And making sure that they have the skills and the information that they need, the subject matter experts, so that they can help to provide clear instructions to vendors who are looking to, to win government contracts in the future.
1: And Justin, you mentioned that there is a 90-day deadline here. My experience with these types of memos is there's usually 120 and a 240 and a year and a two-year action plan. What else is OMB looking to longer term to improve this whole accessibility question?
0: Yeah, these next two are going to happen or have a deadline of one year. First, the CIO Council will work with agencies to set up a government-wide program for assistive technology devices and services or assistive technology consultation services. And then GSA is going to work with the Access Board over the next year to establish a federal digital accessibility design and testing lab. And that will be staffed with accessibility specialists who can do things like automated and manual testing of federal technology to test for those accessibility issues.
1: Anything else people need to watch out for?
0: Yeah, beyond this memo, federal CIO Claire Martirana in uh, November actually previewed that the government has been doing a government-wide Section 508 assessment. This was mandated by the 2023 Congressional Spending Bill. And Rana says this will be completed by December 29th. So that's coming up here pretty quickly. This will look at how agencies are already implementing Section 508, prioritizing digital accessibility in their services. And now with this new memo and this forthcoming assessment, they'll know maybe where they need to go.
1: Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Tom. And you can access his story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
0: Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style.
4: especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made. And I realized in my own sense, I wasn't listening to very different opinions. And I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce, because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful.
3: Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, What does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus?
4: Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer and I think it's my dream job really to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency. So we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all neither can we also customize everything to every individual so there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs but also like i said thinking about can we do this in modules can we make it a menu can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role so i think we have such great opportunity again with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in in very new ways.
3: This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership?
4: There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has, been a very inspiring leader to me all my life and i think because first and foremost she had a strong family and a strong career and that's something i always wanted and i saw her first as my mother but then i also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia which was her chosen field but i always knew her family came first and as i saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership that she had to balance that and i think i learned from her that you can have both you have to you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life but that you don't have to trade one for the other Um, i've been married happily married for 32 years and i'm a mother of twins